Ayo, welcome everyone to episode 17 of Today in the Scene. I'm Joe with Indie Arcade Wave, and this is my co-host Dylan from Galactic Battlegrounds. Hello. I want to shout out Wilcox Arcade this week. It's an arcade blog. You can go check him out. He just did a story on us, and he's been showing nothing but love, so we'll show some love back. This week, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dan Butler and Hunter Norton. They are the band members of Techno Mage. Thanks for joining us this week, guys. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Of course, yeah. We uh, got connected with you through Knight Rider. Um, he was one of our guests earlier on, and I'm really glad that he connected us because I'm pretty excited to talk to you guys about, one, your music um, that has a lot of vintage uh, video game vibes as well as your guys' video game history. So I'm going to jump right in, and I want to know who are Dan and Hunter. Just tell me a little bit about you guys. Would you take the pleasure oh, you first, Hunter? Oh, no, you go. All that's right. The, that's the Seattle freeze right there. We're pretending to be polite. <laughs> uh, well, um, I mean, I've been playing guitar for almost nine years now. I didn't really start getting into like the synth wave chiptune scene until probably about like early 2016 or so. And from there, I've just been ripping out covers and doing all that fun stuff. Uh, as far as video games go, Battlestar Galactica, Resident Evil 4, and um, big, big, big Halo nerd. Dan? Can't go wrong with Halo. Never. Best game ever. Combat Evolved forever. All right, so I guess you're passing the proverbial mic to me. Uh, I never really lost my love for video games or anything in that culture. It's pretty common for people to associate nostalgia with chiptune and synthwave, uh, especially with uh, chiptune a lot of people will say and it's kind of like an inside joke people will say oh that sounds like mario music or, it's mario at a rave or oh that reminds me of pokemon you know to most chip musicians that's kind of a frustrating comparison because while a lot of us do like those games and you know we grew up with them it's like a lot more than that but for me it, it always had the same kind of draw as if i was listening to a new rock band you know it's a it's a it's an art form through and through, just like you pop in a soundtrack from uh, a AAA modern game. You know, it's every bit is valid, every bit is awesome. So I guess more tying that to me as a songwriter, um, I've gone through a few projects, some of them a little bit more focused than others, and some of them are just kind of off the handle, ridiculous. Uh, but over the years, I've incorporated more and more chip elements into the music I write and uh after my previous project ended, it just kind of culminated into this, this thing. I mean, why does anybody make music? It's to fill a void that they think needs to be filled. And so I'm making the music that I feel ought to exist. And that combines all my favorite things, which is synthwave, chiptune, metal, and, you know, all the fun stuff in the periphery. You guys said that you started doing Synthwave in 2016. How did you guys get involved in it? Like, what's kind of like the backstory of the whole thing, you know? As as stereotypical as this sounds, uh, Kung Fury got me into Synthwave. But, um, I mean, from there, uh, it was just, you know, going on YouTube, SoundCloud, Bandcamp, finding all the artists that I know now that back then was like, this is the sound that I've been trying to find. Cause I mean, at heart I'm a metalhead, but at the same time it's like synthwave and chip tune and 
dark synth and cyberpunk kind of intertwine the elements from metal to me at least. And, um, I just started getting huge into it. And I mean, I was absolutely terrible at doing guitar covers of the stuff at first, but I kind of developed an ear for, I guess, um, you know, figuring out what everybody was playing and then putting my own little spin on it. Um, and it wasn't, well, it was January of this year that, uh, Karen hit me up and she was like, Hey, uh, I know Dan from techno mage, his guitarist is about to leave the band. And I know you were talking about wanting to join another project or get involved in one. I just thought I hit you up and I mean, I hit Dan up. Uh, I think it was a couple nights later or the next night we, uh, we talked it out and, uh, here I am now. I like that. That sounds very organic. Yeah, it, it happened kind of naturally. My version of the story is virtually identical, though I seem to remember reaching out to you, Hunter, not you reaching out to me. But Karin, you know, Karin let me know about you, but I think you're right. Yeah. Um, to give you guys a little bit of context, Karin is a, is a local synthwave promoter uh, and fan and Seattle comedian. Uh, who's just a what a lot of people will refer to as a synth ambassador. She's very much into the scene, propping others up and uh, you know sharing new music. She's got a show on uh, a web radio station called Night Ride FM, and she's uh, been really supportive of Techno Mage since the beginning. She found out about our music last year before Hunter had joined the project and. The original guitarist, he ended up having to leave for personal reasons, and I found myself obviously needing guitar for future stuff that the the project needed. So I reached out to Karin because of how well connected she is, and she says, well, I just went to this Neon Rose Fest in Portland, and I met, or in the Portland area, because I had two. I think you guys probably met in the Seattle yeah. uh, iteration of that. But uh, they had bumped into each other during the ni- during that night, and... Uh, so when I had reached out to her and said, Hey, do you have anyone? She's like, actually, yeah, reach out to this dude. So one thing led to another, we ended up chatting, kind of figuring out what, um, what a collaboration in a more permanent sense might look like between us. And here we are. I mean, we haven't recorded anything together since he joined the project, but been kind of nose down in writing mode. But I'm oh, sure. I mean, that get into that the world got flipped upside down <laughs> yeah there's that too there's the apocalypse that kind of happened didn't it yeah <laughs> right <laughs> yep. speaking so, in past tense but it's still happening yeah right so you guys are talking about how you're still fairly new bandmates um and you haven't done did you say you haven't recorded any music together yet not yet hunter and i know but we we have an ep out and a couple singles Okay, so you're working on music, um, and you guys are already communicating about the music that you're going to be doing. So I'm wondering where you guys draw your inspiration from for that music. Um, well, I guess I'll start. Um, I, I tend to write the bulk of the work, um, and obviously I'm pulling a little bit from some of the game soundtracks that I'm fond of and some of the composers that are uh, prominent in both uh, the VGM scene and the chiptune scene. Um but I'm also really into um, industrial bands like Frontline Assembly, 
you know, things like skinny puppy, nine inch nails. Um, uh, obviously I'm really into extreme metal, you know, things in the heavy metal thrash death metal vein, the, I, th- I think the, the riffing in techno mage really speaks to that. But I think from a, a songwriting uh, perspective, the thing that speaks to me most is um, probably the soundtracks of uh, games from the MS DOS era. That's what I grew up playing. And there's a, a handful of soundtracks in particular that just have a really special certain vibe to them. And I think whether consciously or not, a lot of the things that I write end up drawing from that pretty heavily. And I think with the album that we're working on right now, it's uh, it's going to lean pretty heavily into that. A lot of it feels very boss battle to me um, intentionally, but yeah. And, and then we get other things that kind of bleed into, into the work that's a little bit more modern or a little bit more current, whether it's, you know, dark synth, uh, juggernauts like Carpenter Brute and things like that. And I'm not saying we sound like that, but, you know, we, we pull plenty of influence from, you know, all the, all the scenes, all the communities that we've kind of spread ourselves into, you know, we're at the the middle of this uh, kind of amorphous Venn diagram and we're pulling from a lot of different places, but I'd like to think we bring it all together in a unique way. Um, for me personally, um, one of the things I loved about Techno Mage when I first listened to it was, I mean, first off, Austin's style of playing, which is that heavy string skipping, great, crazy riffage, some good breakdowns here and there. And, uh, I mean, mixed with that final boss feeling, just trying to get through the level without dying. And, um, from what Dan has showed me with our upcoming album, that's, it's even more emphasized and that's my favorite part personally is because I know what I want to incorporate it and where I've drawn my inspirations from, which is, you know, that kind of eighties style ballady guitar, those typical screeching solos and whatnot from the eighties and nineties, and then mixing it with kind of like, the more modern metalcore style riffing and breakdowns and whatnot. And I mean, I like, I like to mix the two up. It just sounds right to me. And Dan does. Yeah, it's interesting that you point that out. I feel like, I, I feel like uh, you speaking to that is kind of a revelation in a sort like that we really even span across a few different styles of metal too, because the, the lead style stuff that ends up, making its way into techno mage is very like you said ballad like but then you get things that are really syncopated and heavy and chunky uh, to carry the rhythm and those those things often i wouldn't say often those things don't always live together but and it's, yeah I'm, it can be I'm hard glad to that, make that is where you're coming from where did you guys come up with the name techno mage i mean is dan were you the the father of this name or that is all dan was? Yeah, so that that kind of reaches back um, several music projects. Actually, there was a really goofy project that I was a part of that was basically one giant experiment in genre, where no two songs sounded the same intentionally. Um, and one of the personas that I ended up adopting in there was uh, something to the effect of electro mage, and 
that was a bit of a nod, I think, at the time to a British comedy that I was really into called Mighty Boosh, where they had a lot of really off the wall uh music in the show and the characters that they portrayed were really, really silly. And uh, they were really into electro and they've made a lot of mentions to it. And there's a lot of references to like Gary Newman and the human league and stuff like that. But uh, that persona kind of followed me into my next project, um, which was a little bit more heavy into the chiptune with bits of industrial and EDM and whatever else. Uh, I ended up kind of embracing that a little bit more uh, seriously and it kind of morphed into techno mage. It wasn't something that was front and center, like, Hey, this is my identity in the, in the band, but it was, you know, it was part of it. And when that project was starting to come to a a close and I was looking for uh, an output to dump all of that unused energy into, and the, the current project was being birthed it, only made sense to uh, carry that legacy on. Um, But I didn't know, even back when I came up with the name, I didn't know that it was a reference to Babylon 5. I didn't know that it was a character class in some versions of D&D. I'm really delighted to hear both of those things after having discovered that after the fact. Um, But it's also kind of adopted its own meaning beyond just the story behind it, where it's, uh, it's kind of speaking to um, a sort of ingenuity and resourcefulness that I feel is really uh, integral to the music. For me, that's one of the biggest things that draws me to synth music is it's very representational of a decade when everybody was innovating, everybody was making new things and they were excited about what electronic music could mean for the future of music. You know, what it, what are all these synthesizers going to do to our music like how is that going to change it and instead of shying away from it they leaned into it really hard so that's that's kind of a nod to that as well with the name and and beyond that it's a character as well it's it's turned into a character that lives outside of myself um i don't know if you guys want to get into it at some point in the show or if we want to segue into it but uh, the music is loosely based on a narrative um and so it's all concept music to an extent and the the titular character is is kind of a um a freelance hacker to put it uh succinctly and he's known for his resourcefulness that's really interesting i i like i like how much thought and history there is in the name it wasn't just something that you just like randomly came up with you you really went in depth with it and it means a lot to you as an artist um i think that's Mm -hmm. cool that you also have a narrative with it. I mean, you kind of have a vision for this character that is techno mage and that is Mm -hmm. the person that you're following through the music. Um, I'm sure that'll be reflected Mm -hmm. in your next album. Um, Yeah. On the side of video games, I want to know where you guys got into them. Like what are some of your earliest memories with video games and why do those memories stick with you until now? I remember it was 2005. I was in first grade and my dad had just bought uh, the original Xbox with Star Wars Lego 1. And I mean, since then, 
this turned me into a huge Star Wars nerd, and I love everything Star Wars. But just, I mean, even to this day, for me, that game still holds up. Like, there's just something about it that reminds me of my childhood. And, I mean, it really was the first thing that got me into video games. And from there, it was it expanded into Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, um, Halo, Resident Evil 4 came a bit later, and uh, Battlestar Galactica Deadlock was really fun because just, I mean, I love some of those turn-based games and the strategy behind them. Well, for myself, um, and I think I'm probably going to date myself a bit and really call attention to the fact that Hunter and I have 10 years between us, but um, my history with video games uh, started out exclusively on MS-DOS and it was the most exciting thing as a kid for me when my dad would come home with a three and a quarter floppy loaded up with shareware titles that I'd never played. I ended up latching onto a handful of them. And I think a lot of those uh, games that I grew so fond of really ended up being a huge influence on Technomage down the road. Games like Jazz Jackrabbit and Tyrion. Um, but after you know a very... Uh, DOS rich childhood. Um, I remember the next console that I ended up getting, if you want to call MS DOS a console, the next uh, chapter in my video game life, I guess, is my neighbor gifted me their NES because they were moving away. And I got a handful of games with it. Some of them uh, widely regarded as classics, others are absolute trash. And I knew it at the time as a kid. And some of the games I tolerated just because I didn't know any better. That's kind of what we did as kids. You played what you had. Um, but then I made a gigantic jump. I had I had other friends that had other consoles like Super Nintendo and N64, but I never got to own those. I made the jump to PS1 after that because my sister brought one home. And the first game I played on that was Tekken 3. Um, and we played Tekken religiously. Um, I remember we ended up getting into other games like Parappa the Rapper, and uh, I played a lot of Need for Speed with my dad. Um, and then we kind of became a PlayStation family at that point. So we got the, the two and the three. Um, and at some point during that generation, I I realized that there was uh, a blossoming collector scene uh, after I had picked up an Atari 2600 because I, I wanted to t- kind of get in touch with... Um, some of that history that I hadn't really experienced personally because the 2600 was a little bit before me. So I wanted to check that out and it ended up kind of turning me on to looking into things that I had never played before. So while the nostalgia was certainly there and I was like, yeah, Mario, it's fun. I remember having so much fun with this. It really quickly became about trying to discover things that I had never played. And, and so that's kind of followed me for the ne- uh, until now so that it's been kind of a decade long venture i guess maybe a decade i don't know uh of just looking for things that you know i knew about or that i've always wanted to play or just hunting for those gems that you know i didn't know existed and for example i didn't grow up playing my absolute favorite games which is contra and castlevania i i discovered those as an adult um if i played them as a kid i probably would have loved them but you know, that's an example of something that I discovered that I love for what it is, not because I have the rose tinted glasses of nostalgia. Um, 
so yeah, that that's that's kind of followed me now, and and what's kind of fostered me uh, back to retro games in the present, I think, was the existence of indie games. So folks like you guys making Galactic Battleground, like that, that that's the kind of thing that I think uh, in the back of my head flipped that switch to say, yeah, I'm not the only one that thinks that stuff is still awesome. You guys have a whole bunch of history with games and. You know, you, you've, you've probably talked about a lot of your favorites. Um, what is What makes a game great to you? Is it the story? Is it the gameplay? If you could describe it for people that are trying to make games, they would love to know that, I'm sure. And I would too. So um, if you could give me like a little in-depth synopsis of what you what makes a game great to you. Well, personally, I think that depends on what what the point of the game is. So if you set out to, if you told me that you were setting out to make uh, a shoot 'em up, like a, a scrolling space shooter, like Raiden or Gradius, I probably wouldn't advise a very in-depth story. I don't think most people play those kind of games for the story. It's cool when it's got a good story, and some of them do have good stories. But at that point, it's auxiliary, right? What what you care about in that kind of a game, especially with something like Raiden, is you want the gameplay to be really, really fine-tuned. You want those hitboxes to be perfectly dialed in. You want the exact ratio of bullets on the screen to be just right where it's not overwhelming and it's uh, still challenging. You want to give the the player enough of a, a carrot, as it were, to make it interesting but not you know discourage them when they lose. And that's just for that style of game. You know, it If it's something more narrative driven obviously it doesn't really matter if your your graphics are you know uh photorealistic if you're telling an amazing story it matters to some people but i don't think those people are genuinely in it for the story at that point i think it just depends on who your audience is in addition to what the the mission statement for the game is you know and i think that applies to pretty much any creative venture it's the the same questions i asked myself when i was starting to figure out what to do with Technomage is, you know, who is this for? What's the point of it? I mean, to, to piggyback off Dan, I'm, there, I really can't disagree with that in the slightest. I mean, me personally, I've always been a bigger fan of uh, more narrative-driven games. But and it's like you said, it all depends on what what you're going after with it. Like if you're writing a horror story or something more like a hero's journey, I mean, it, it's all dependent on the end goal, but I mean, that's, that's why, um, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic is one of my favorites and it still is because I mean, you, you, every action you take can change the story to a degree, of course, but you can choose whether you're going to be good or bad by the end of it. And that I think that's got to be my favorite thing about a game is just making your own decision for the character and how they turn out by the end. So it makes it feel like you're actually deciding how the game goes. Yeah. I was going to ask, have it, have any of you guys ever played games by Arrowhead studios? They, they're known for Magicka and Helldivers. I have not played either of those. No, they, they have a slogan that I think, is really really applicable here. Um, they're a small studio, I think, out of out of Sweden. But um, their their slogan is "A game for everyone is a game for no one," and I really like that. I feel like that kind of encapsulates 
what Hunter and I are saying pretty pretty succinctly. Yeah. Yeah, that is a really good They're point because I mean, too. yeah, I'm sure they are. But you like you really need to look. It's I mean, as you said, like with Technomage, you need to figure out who your audience is, why you're making this game, and who you're making it for. Because if you don't know those things before you start making the game, you have no direction, and you're you're kind of wandering aimlessly, hoping that somebody likes it. And like they said, if you make it for everyone, you made it for no one. Like. There's just it's not going to get picked up to the degree that you would want. Even if your audience is quote everyone, and you you market it towards that, which is you know what you get when you have like blockbuster films or pop music. And I'm not trying to to uh, talk down against those uh, you know those types of entertainment. It's you know that's for a specific type of person, but for people who are are kind of looking for a few more layers than just what's on the surface, that sort of thing falls pretty flat pretty quickly because all of the, all the rough edges have been smoothed out. I think Jonathan Blow, the guy who made Braid was the one who originally said that, where he said, if you, if you keep shaving off corners that might bump into someone and cause someone to have some kind of a reaction, then eventually you end up smoothing out, all of the game's character, all of the music's character, and what you're left with is a very cookie-cutter experience. Hmm. That kind of makes me uh, think of this next question that I had specifically for you, Dan, um, which is Mm. we already kind of, you touched on the point that like Contra and Castlevania are some of your favorite video games ever that you discovered as an adult. I Mm. heard something very interesting about your wedding, and I want you to fill in some of the gaps here for me. Cause all I know is you had a Castlevania themed wedding. Yeah. I don't know if you want to grab some popcorn and go all the way back, but uh, I used to work at a video game store as a manager. It was a mom and pop store uh, here in Linwood where I live. And that's where I met my wife. Um, at the time I was doing a side project where I was working on a game. And unfortunately that project fell apart. But at the time I was looking for an artist and uh, Melissa, who would be my wife eventually, comes into the store, buys a game, and I'm cashing her out. I'm talking to her like I would anybody, asking her about, uh, you know, oh, you know this game? She's like, oh, I'm picking it up to study some of the the content from that studio because I'm thinking of applying for them. I'm a visual artist. And I said, that's awesome. Do you want to talk about maybe joining an indie project? I don't know if you've got any experience doing that. And I noticed she was wearing this really rad Castlevania ugly Christmas sweater. That was a big bonus, but it started as a very professional, like let's talk business and let's talk about you collaborating on this project. But it very quickly became not that. Um, So we really, really quickly found out that we were both fans of Castlevania. Uh, In fact, that was in fall of 2014 and that December, um, we ended up giving each other Castlevania things. So like she, she was collecting Castlevania. I was collecting Castlevania. So I gave her uh Castlevania three on NES. Cause that's the one she didn't have. And I remember having to call all the retro game stores in the area and even have one of my friends like travel down to Tacoma and pick it up. And it was, it was a whole ordeal, but uh, suffice to say it's big. It's been a cornerstone in our relationship. You know, the first game that we beat together was symphony of the night. We've played a lot of Castlevania games together since then. Um, and then when we, you know, eventually made the decision, Hey, let's, let's get married. Uh, 
all of the decision making was really, really easy for the most part. And and so much of it circled back to Castlevania. And we said, oh, well, let's do a Castlevania themed wedding. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So we did wedding invites uh, where we doctored the image at the end of Castlevania 3, where they're looking at the destroyed Dracula's castle. And it says, what a wonderful day for a wedding instead of what a horrible night for a curse and things like that. Uh, and then when we sent out the invites, we made them look like NES cartridges, but she did the artwork on the front and she didn't know this, but I stole that artwork for a, a project I was working on. Shh. As a wedding gift, I decided to do a hack of the first Castlevania NES ROM where I replaced Simon Belmont sprite with her in a wedding dress. And I rearranged the opening jingle so that it was like a minor version of the wedding march. And there was like a story at the end where she saves me from Dracula. And, you know, I, I went to this company to get a box made for the game. I flashed it to a, a cartridge and sealed it up. And I gave that to her as a wedding gift. But, you know, it it's just continued to snowball from there. Like there's no stopping our love of Castlevania. Our son is about to turn a year old and his name's Adrian Belmont Butler. Adrian is after Alucard uh, and Belmont is obviously the family of vampire hunters in the series uh so it it just uh it keeps going and going it's the series that keeps giving and yeah the wedding was a blast it was very much themed after that uh anachronistic we're gonna pull from every century uh aesthetic that castlevania has because their art directors don't know what what century to draw influence from you get 17th 18th 19th century so we had just really, really cool Gothic vibes going and, you know, everything was roses and Ivy and angels and dramatic red velvet and, you know, black and gold. And it was beautiful and it was a lot of fun. That's, that's awesome. That sounds like, I mean, I always hear the hardest thing about that is planning and it sounds like it was just simple, very simple for you guys. Making decisions was simple. Making it happen was a headache. And a lot of that was just a lot of moving parts. If anybody is ever thinking about getting married that has never had to plan a wedding before, it's really easy to underestimate all the different moving parts. And when you're operating on a really shoestring budget, that matters. We cut a lot of corners and did a lot of things that were very atypical of of weddings. And I think a lot of people are doing that now. But as an example, and this was kind of the thing that set me off to like, why don't I just propose? I met met up with a guy and had a beer with him where he was talking about how he made his wedding ring for his wife. He, he designed it and then had somebody uh, cast it. And I said, why can't I do that? So I, I reached into my contacts and tried to find somebody. They referred me to somebody who referred me to somebody. They knew a guy who knew a guy. And I ended up bumping into a guy who owns a metal casting business 10 minutes from where I live, which is awesome. But so I designed the ring and he cast it and it ended up, and, and it was, it was really unique too, because I decided I didn't want a gold band. I want something that's a little more affordable. So we did silver. Uh, no, sorry. It was white gold. Excuse me. Uh, and for the gemstone, I didn't use a diamond. I used amethyst because that was cheaper and it's beautiful. Like, why not? Um, so we did the same thing too with the wedding bands. We actually designed those together and had them cast by the same person. Um, so that that's really, if anybody's out there looking to get married, that's what I would encourage is ingenuity. Like there's no reason you have to pay somebody to make a cake if you know somebody that can bake. 
there's no reason that uh, you can't decorate yourself or offload that sort of thing to somebody in your family that's really, really crafty. So we we did a lot of that where we said, mm, let's not pay that person. But for all the people that we did pay, we had to have all our ducks in a row. So yeah, it was uh, it was still stressful, but it came together really nicely. That's definitely some some good advice for uh, us young folk. Um, Hunter, I have a question specifically for you. You said you're a big Halo guy, and I want to know what started that and why Halo out of all the first-person shooters. I'm kind of biased. I still think Halo is the best one out of all of them, but I want your opinion on it. Um, so originally I started playing Halo 2 and I like the whole concept of, you know, humans fighting aliens in space was pretty new to me because I mean, I'm 21 and rewinding the clock back to second grade. It's like, whoa, you know, um, it wasn't until a couple of years later that I discovered combat evolved. And I mean, to this day, that's one of my top three favorites. I mean, just something about having a 60 round mag in your assault rifle and anything you shoot just spraying blood and anything you hit with a warthog just dies instantly is endless fun. <laughs> um, I mean, I kind of fell off after halo four, but, um, I mean, story-wise, with Halo, I kind of fell off after 4. But, I mean, up until that point, it, it was still a really fun experiencing what they did with the game and just the different weapons and how the tables kind of turned for the humans and uh, the Covenant and whatnot. Yeah, I agree. This The story is, is really well done, and it is definitely one of my favorite franchises. So to wrap everything up here, I want you guys to shout out your social medias, whether they be personal social medias or the band's social medias. Sure. Well, you can follow the band. Let's start with the band. Uh, you can follow the band everywhere at Technomage Music. Uh, the only place that's an exception is Bandcamp. It's just technomage.bandcamp.com. But we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, anywhere, um, Spotify, iTunes. Um, and then if you want to follow any of the stuff that I do, I host a radio show on Night Ride FM. It's very uh, focused on chiptune, all new chip music. I host it every month. Uh, you can follow that as well as see occasional references to parent things and me posting lots of coffee pictures uh, at Dark Roast Dan. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And um, my personal social media is Shredder 87 on Instagram. Um, that's, that's what I use primarily. You can find me under the same name on Twitter as well, but, uh, the bulk of my content will be on Instagram, which is just, um, some, some shreddy riffs, some synth wave covers, pictures of me with cigars occasionally. <laughs> awesome. Well, now that we have those social medias, I will drop those in the link below so that everybody can follow those. And thank you guys, Dan Hunter. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. And until next time. Peace. Deuces.